Do you think all premium fuels are the same? Well, your engine doesn't. Shell V Power Nitro Plus helps keep your engine running like new because it's engineered to defend against four main engine threats. Gunk, wear, corrosion, and friction. So next time, choose Shell's most advanced fuel ever. It's fuel for thought. In engines that continuously use Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. You know, Philadelphia has a pretty decent-sized Korean population. Plenty of Korean community there as well. There's been an H-Mart there for a long time. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's how you know. That's how you know. That's right. the number one indicator right there. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to The Worst Asian Podcast, where a couple Asian-American millennials give you our shitty opinions on all things Asian. My name is Linji. I'm here with my co-host, Ben. Hello, hello, hello. How are you doing today, Ben? I am doing very well. It's very hot. Oh, yes. It's 90 degrees today. And then yeah. tomorrow, I think it's becoming like 60 or something. Damn, that's weird. Yeah. Jeez. Actually, you know, our guest today might have some inside scoop on the weather. I'm sure he knows a couple of meteorologist friends himself. You're right. <laughs> Coming on to the podcast today, self-proclaimed horrible cook. Maybe America's biggest, hottest thirst trap journalist. If you don't know this man, you're probably watching too much Netflix. Let's welcome onto the show New York's very own Safan Kim. Woo! How you guys doing? <laughs> doing good. Thanks for coming on, man. I'm good. I don't give the weather though. That is the that's one part of this news business. You can be wrong half the time and still have a job. And <laughs> weather is not my thing. So don't blame me when the weather's bad. I always joke about in baseball, if you strike out seven times out of 10, you can still be in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Speaking of baseball, as a fellow New Yorker, Safan, we need to know. <laughs> okay? Mets or Yankees? Oh, geez. Yeah. Um, off the record between just you and me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I was born and raised in Philly, so that makes me neither. Oh, God. Uh, I just lost the entire audience here. <laughs> that one's perfect, so... <laughs> But I will say this. I will say this. Um, mm -hmm. I'm not a Yankees fan. Sorry. Oh. Uh, it, it just, you know, it's like the evil empire thing. You know, that would be like rooting for the Pats. And as much as like the, the Mets are division rivals with the Phillies, mm -hmm. uh, I called Queens home for a decade and covered Queens even longer than that. So I have a soft spot for Queens and I, I do love City Field. So it, it's weird that I would, I would root on like a division rival. Yeah. But yeah. if I had to choose, if I had to choose, it would be the Mets. Uh, okay, 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 okay. Because okay. I was going to say, you might not have a job to go back to when you go back to work tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, I think you've no, saved it. They'll probably at least give you like a two-week uh, grace period now. Yeah, I mean, I get like, I get half the city at least, right? Maybe less than half the city, but sure. <laughs> um, what's I'm not going to lie. I prefer going to a Mets game over a Yankees game, though. There's just something yeah. more fun about it. When you go to Yankees, it just feels so serious. Yeah. Ben is a, a Yankees fan. Yeah. We just need to add that as a uh, I am disclaimer. A so fan. it's okay yeah. for you to say that. I mean, it's a better stadium. It's also in Flushing. I mean, the food's better in and outside the stadium. So, I mean, 
Come on, you can't go wrong there. Exactly. There you go. We'll take what we can get. Because I was telling uh, Ben before, when we were doing some research on you, I said he was born and raised in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So there's a very likely chance that he is a Phillies fan. Yeah. But for the rest of this episode, we're just going to put that on the download. We're not going to talk about that again. <laughs> yeah. We're going to pretend like we didn't hear that. Thank God this is only between us, right? Yeah, between not us. Between yeah, us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Off the record. Yeah. Off the record. Off the record. <laughs> just between us, yeah. No one will know. And by the way, <laughs> we are not journalists, so we don't know what off the record actually means. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So if it still gets played, then that's because we don't know what we're doing. Yes, exactly. Right, it was misunderstood. It was misunderstood. <laughs> One lighthearted thing I want to talk about. I came upon this YouTube video of yourself. I want to say this very kindly. You were attempting <laughs> to cook. Cook yeah. in quotation marks. Are you attempting to cook mm -hmm. something? Attempting is the, is the operative word here. Um, I was attempting to bake pumpkin pie because I love pumpkin pie. But it turns out I'm better at eating than baking. So, I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll stick to the eating part. <laughs> I tried, man. A for effort, you know? I guess you're not the one that's cooking most of the meals in the household, though. No, and you know what? To be honest, I didn't want to do that. But, you know, the, <laughs> the station wanted to, you know, it was Thanksgiving and Christmas. And people eat, eat that up. I mean, no pun intended. Yeah. And they asked each of us to, uh, to, to cook or bake something. I knew it was going to be a disaster, but hey, man, I mean, at least it was, at least it was good comedy. Yeah, it was Provided good comedy, some, yeah. Some good content. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when uh, things fail, it's actually uh, better content. Yeah. You do have more eyeballs on you over the course of the past couple of years or so. And a lot of that comes down to the fact that we are here in New York City, round zero to a lot of what's been happening. How are you dealing with that increased fame? Well, let me sort of unpack that question into two, right? Uh, the first part, I think that's debatable, right? We're, we're ground zero. I think perceptively that's the case. But the one thing is, first, I would say, like, when you compare, for instance, what's happening to New York and in San Francisco versus, like, Los Angeles, I do think a lot of that is because L.A. is a car culture. And what I mean by that is a lot of these incidents and assaults are coming out of, like, these random interactions that only really happen when you're on the street mm. walking in condensed cities, Right. So I always make this argument that it's not that there's a lack of Asian racism or bias in other cities. It's just that in cities like New York, where we are forced to interact with each other, packed onto trains or on sidewalks, uh, this is what sort of manifests, right? Uh, I think secondarily, I do think a large part of why you're seeing this uh, concentration of incidents in New York is because I'm here, to be quite honest. I'm mm. reporting it. And kudos to my colleague, Dion Lim, at the ABC in San Francisco, who is doing her part. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that every market uh, has local newsrooms that have journalists in these newsrooms that are necessarily plugged in and sourced, that are connected on the ground to the community, have the passion, quite frankly, to be dogged about this, and um, have been around long enough to, to sort of understand what's happening in a greater context. So, I mean, sort of like answer that first part. The second part of it, the fame. And I, look, I, I've been asked that a few times over the past year, two years, and it sort of surprises me because I don't look at it that way. I don't necessarily look at this as, yes, there's been heightened attention on my work these past year or so, but it's not that I you know, was invisible before. So this is sort of comes to the territory, right? I, I would say that for me, that it's, it's made me a lot more busy. I have been trying to tell stories for 20 years doing this job of all of the things that impact the AAPI community, right? As a journalist, our, our primary goal, our primary mission in life is to be a voice with a voiceless and the unheard. It just so happens that the AAPI community is one of the most unheard and invisible and misunderrepresented. And so whether it be, 
you know, being vulnerable to violence or hunger or lack of access to education or other kinds of, you know, services. I've been trying to tell those stories for 20 years. And frankly, we know this, we're not culturally trained to wear our struggles and pain on our sleeve. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to tell stories, our stories, if we don't speak out. And that has been something that's shifted dramatically over the past year and a half or so, because suddenly there's a moment when people in the API community understand the importance of speaking out and being public. So suddenly last year I was inundated with all of these stories to tell. And that's the plus side is that I, I you know, the floodgates opened and there was no lack of access to, to victims or just stories to tell. But on the other hand, one of the downsides is one of the hardest things I've had to do is tell a victim, you know, I believe you, your story matters, what happened to you matters, but we don't have the time to get it on air because oh, there wow. was so much of that. Just because you don't see what goes on in the air doesn't mean that there's dozens of more victims that I've spoken to embedded behind the scenes, so right? True. Like that's just a fraction of what you're seeing. So just have an idea of you saw publicly how busy I was, the veracity and the speed, you know, the pace of this coverage. Just imagine what you weren't seeing on the air. And to that end, I think the one thing that has changed is I have kind of made certain boundaries because I have to prioritize. I only have so much time in my life, right? Personal, professional, balancing all of it. So social media has become sort of a one-way street for me. I put this stuff out because that's where the eyeballs are. But I I do a good job, uh, frankly, of just not really taking too much in because it can be a rabbit hole, right? It it, it kind of of, is never ending, you know, and everyone has an opinion. And frankly, like opinions are not what I, that's not the space I delve in, right? I, I, I operate in a space called facts, right? Yeah. And so people are going to have opinions. I can't necessarily control that. I can put the facts out. You do what you will with it. If I go down this rabbit hole of reading every commentary, it's never going to end. I'm not going to have time to, to sleep and breathe. So in that sense, I think I have, and again, forgive me to anyone on social media who's trying to reach out to me. About <laughs> it's not personal. Hmm. I just had to create some boundaries over the past year. To, I think that's the more direct way to answer your question. I just cut it off, right? Because uh, I, I need to have a life too. So exactly, I think as a fellow father myself, sometimes you need to find that disconnect between work, professional, and a personal life. You know, it's been good to see you disconnect from all that. I guess that kind of leads into the part that I want to talk about. A lot of us probably don't know what exactly your backstory is, aside from being a uh, Philadelphia Phillies fan. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you grow up? Yes, I was born and raised in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is, uh, it's a rough town, right? Um, (laughs) I always say like, it's a little bit like Boston, maybe worse in some ways where uh, people will tell you what they feel, right? And I grew up in Northeast Philly where most of my my childhood friends growing up were Irish, Italian, or both. Uh, Most of their fathers were cops or firefighters, very blue collar. And I was reminded every day that I was different, right? And this is an odd thing to say, but some of my best friends said some of the most like racially offensive things to me growing up every day. Oh, wow. And I'm also Korean American. So, you know, as, as we Korean Americans know, um, our parents have never taught us to walk away from a fight. So <laughs> I got into, uh, <laughs> yes, don't New York's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. I know. Um, so I got into quite a few brawls. I would say like every other day I got my butt whooped. Yeah. There's certainly some value in getting your butt kicked mm-hmm. on a constant basis, There's, but <laughs> yeah. that also causes, you know, some real, some real trauma that carries with you, you know, but for me, it sparked, you know, my fire because I knew from a very young age that I was different. And in order to, um, to, to be heard and be equal, we had to fight for that. And so um, I knew from a very young age, I would say middle school, early high school, that I want to be a journalist. I want to be a broadcast journalist. This was a day, you know, I'm older than people think I'm 41 now. So, 
you know, this was like the late eighties, early nineties when television news was a little more, you know, relevant than it is today. And, um, and I was fortunate enough to have parents who were not typical Korean parents, right? They were not like you'd be a lawyer, doctor, or, or, you know, the typical. Oh, wow. That's good. Yeah. My, my father was actually involved civically quite a bit in Philadelphia. He was actually the first Asian American commissioner of the city of Philadelphia under then mayor good. Oh, wow. uh, Wilson good. Um, and he went into nonprofit work. He still does nonprofit work, you know, grassroots, nonprofit, on the ground, that kind of work. It really is like personal to me. My mother was a nurse for like 40 years. So I say that both of them were in like civic uh, duty work. And they instilled in me from a very young age, like the importance of community. They actually encouraged me to, to take this route because they understood why I wanted to do it, right? Again, it wasn't for fame or notoriety. It was the fact that and I, and I was always sort of an old soul, like even <laughs> at a young age, I, I sort of knew that like kids are calling me racial slurs and, you know, pulling their eyes back and, and mocking the accent and all of that. But I knew that society wasn't going to allow us to define a dictator on terms, right? At that time, that things are changing now, but Hollywood didn't have roles for Asian men that didn't fit like their narrative. Yeah, very stupid coaster. Yeah, it was, it was very limited, right? But in news, I thought, look, here's a profession where I would speak without an accent. I'd be in your living rooms telling you what's important in your day. And if you can trust me to tell you what's important in your day, even if it's subconsciously that you accepted me as a part of your society, then maybe you go to school the next day and you don't pound on the next Asian kid because huh. suddenly we're not the other. Huh. That's amazing. Um, speaking of like where you're saying from your Philly and you're talking about the Korean side, how much of the Korean side were you exposed to there? Like uh, the community, I guess, to start from there? How was it like? You know, Philadelphia has a pretty decent sized Korean population. Plenty of Korean community there as well. There's been an H Mart there for a long time. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's how you know. That's how you know. That's right. the number one indicator right there. <laughs> yeah, it's been there for a while. Although, the, you know, the copy's better here in LA. Don't, no oh, one in Philly's in here this right. Jeez. <laughs> Turf wars. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> no, I, I, I grew up, I mean, look, I'm conversational in Korean. My parents spoke Korean to me growing up. I, I mm. went to an all boys boarding high school where. A lot of their national students were from Korea, so I had to practice my Korean there. Oh, damn. I always joked that, like, I can't deliver a newscast in Korean, but I can conduct an interview in Korean enough, like, to be conversational, ask a person, like, you know, are you okay? What happened? You know, how can I help? Things like that, you know? So my Korean's probably better than average for an American-born Korean. It's not certainly not fluent, but okay. as you can see through my work, I'm, I'm pretty much in touch with it. Yeah, uh, Stefan, just for the record, <laughs> uh, since we know what that means, now, or off the record, since we know now. <laughs> My Korean is absolutely trash. <laughs> my dad loves to shit on me about it all the time. He would be like, Jesus Christ. And your parents barely speak any English to you. So I know. it's amazing how your Korean turned out to be this bad. I know. I think their English got so much better because of that. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. You know, it's crazy. Like every Korean person that we have on this podcast. Yeah. Here's the thing. They are always reminded about how they don't think that their Korean is good enough. And Ben yes. is always very kindly telling them, don't worry. I would destroy that standard. <laughs> You know, going back to what you're saying, though, about um, I heard this one person tell me there's one thing to be able to speak English. There's another thing to sound American. You um, mean in terms of connecting with the audience better? Right, exactly. Is one necessarily better than the other, though? I don't want to say there's anything necessarily better. Mm-hmm. But my, um, in Korean, like my, my Dongzangs, younger siblings, they would, they would say that. It's like, you sound American. Like I could speak English, but I can't sound American. So I just wonder, like, Stefan, with you, like, you know, when I see you, I just... It's amazing seeing like, oh, that's us being represented in the best way possible. Well, I mean, look, I, I appreciate that. That is like, honestly, that like the highest compliment I can receive because 
again, I kind of mentioned to you, even in grade school, I, I knew representation matters before it was even a thing. Yeah, right? exactly. I'm very mindful that mm-hmm. the way that the outside world perceives us, whether we like it or not, they're looking at me or whoever else as representation of, of you, right? So I try to do my, my best when, I, when I'm out there. So thank you. I appreciate that. Did you find yourselves with any uh, barriers when you pursued journalism here in New York City? Anything that specifically um, you can recall being an Asian American that made things harder? A thousand percent. So, look, it's always harder to do something when you're different, right? Yeah. People are uncomfortable by change and, and something different. Uh, I would even start this this story even sooner. I, you know, I, I get asked a lot about systemic racism, right? Um, part of what I've been trying to do in the coverage is show that Anti-Asian bias is not, A, it's not a new thing. It did not start in 2020. It's not going to end in 22, right? This is why if you look at a lot of my storytelling, I make it a point to kind of slip in there. Were you surprised by the bias? And the answer is generally no. And then the, the follow-up question is, when's the first time you faced it? And the answer is generally very, very young. Yeah. So that the point I'm making there is that this has always been a thing. I also try to make the point that it's not coming from a particular subset of people. It's not just we see a lot of homeless people as behind these attacks, yep. mentally ill. It's not just them, right? I spent two sleepless nights outing Maura Moynihan, the daughter of the late Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, after whom the Penn Station is named after, right? I was Daniel just going to say, Moynihan yeah. Penn Station, right? And, and the reason why I was so diligent and dogged in, in pursuing that story is because I wanted to show that this is a person who was white, affluent, educated, from a powerful political family, and yet still spewing vile vitriol, right? Uh, I've tried to show this come from New Jersey High School, the story about how, you know, they wouldn't allow them to discuss Asian hate because they equated this to a political movement like BLM. Right. The city of New York sent uh, a letter from a city agency to two Vietnamese New Yorkers on their free side titled, excuse my words here, I'm quoting, Ching Chong, right? Uh, so my yeah. point is, this is not coming from black, white, brown, it's everywhere, all different socioeconomic backgrounds. And it, it's, it's been here since we were born, right? So that's my preface to my point here, systemic racism, right? I remember vividly in fourth grade, having the teacher of my class openly mock the sound of my family's names and had the school, the classroom collectively laugh at me, hmm, right? Geez, yeah. Why do I still remember that in fourth grade? Obviously, it was traumatic, even though I didn't realize that until I was an adult, right? Uh, I, I'm an Army veteran. I've had in the army drill sergeants tell me go back to China Mm. and I've had to fight, you know, in the army, we say that, you know, we're not black, white or brown or yellow. We're green. Well then own that. Right. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't say that in your, in your mantra and then come at me like this, that, that was a fight. And then you fast forward even to, to get to your point, my professional life, right. I landed at ABC a, a little bit later than I think some people do, you know, look, first of all, let's just be clear. Very few people in this business get to that level. But when you do, it's probably a few years sooner. Okay. And I think for sure that happened because this is a face that's new and uncomfortable, right? I call this the evolution of racism. My mentor and dear good friend still to this day, Tiwa Chang, was the first yeah, Asian-American mm-hmm. broadcaster. You all know him. Of course. Broker, yeah, right? yeah. He's my man. He's my homie, right? And he tells me a story that when he first, before he got on air, he, he, would, he sent his audition tape to a friend who was a news director. And this friend said to him, I can't hire you because when I see an Asian man on TV, my body tenses up and I think about Kung Fu. Directly, he said this. Wow. Directly to no his No sugar face, coating. Right? No. And, and so think about like just how many levels of that is just offensive. I know. Yeah. I, yeah. Right. Now, fast forward to, I want to say 2015 when I was you know, doing the rounds, 
getting interviewed by literally every newsroom in New York and some networks. And I have had every single news director I interviewed with, assistant news director, agent I was interviewing with, ask me the same question or the version of the same question. Is English your first language? Damn. Wow. Ask yourself, like, I don't think they meant it maliciously. Right. But I think it's baked in, right? Subliminally, like, for some reason, they don't see this face and this voice as being American. It didn't bother me. The only newsroom that did not ask that question, and I'm not just saying this because of my employer, was the station that I'm at now. That has been exactly why, you know, I've been so comfortable here because, you know, they've embraced what I'm about, who I am, my work, and, and what my work, my brand is. That was rare to find. And I'm lucky that the number one newsman in America was the one newsman that said, we want you the full package, right? Without any apologies. And so I think to answer your question, whether it was so outward or not, a little bit subtle, there was definitely barriers because of the fact that I looked different and I'm not something they're used to seeing. We've seen your rise in fame here in New York City, mm-hmm. but even sometimes we don't really get a chance to stop for a second and just think about exactly how long and how many bumps in the road it took you to get to where you are right now. Exactly. Is there anything in particular about your current station? And you don't have to get into the specifics, of course, but is there anything, is there a culture that's more inclusive? Like, can you pinpoint? I would say this, to answer that question, WABC Eyewitness News is what we call in the business a legacy newsroom, meaning as a New Yorker, you know, people are just generation after generation. They grow up with watching this newsroom, right? Yeah. For that reason, when you're number one and you have that kind of legacy, you have a little more um, leeway to really kind of do your thing. Yeah. And so what I mean by that is that the magic sauce that makes Eyewitness News Eyewitness News is that we hire talent for who we are and then allow us to kind of be us, right? So most newsrooms, I would say every newsroom minus ours, you know, a reporter sends in a script. And that script may get edited by six different eyeballs. And by the time it gets back to you, it all, you all look and sound the same because it's been sort of edited down to what is what fits, right? That style. The narrative. And I want this news, the formula is sort of like we let the talent write in their own voice, right? Hmm. And they don't really do a lot to get in the way. And that allows each of us as personalities to really have ownership of our personality and our own style and our own approach. That all being said, they also trust us with a great degree editorially. And so to answer your question, last year when this all kicked off, and again, I've been doing it for a long time, but when it really started got attention, they never once doubted me or questioned me along the way. It was, it was almost like blank check, carte blanche, like go do your thing. They let me rip, right? I mean, I was a madman on the streets. You guys all saw it. <laughs> they let me rip, right? And I was just popping off left and right. And I would say that very few of the newsrooms would have given me that kind of leash, right? To just yeah, really yeah, do my thing. And so in that regard, the trust that's there editorially gave me a lot of freedom to pursue this uh, coverage in the way that I wanted to. And it was what a lot of folks don't realize. It, I, have a, I had this sort of bigger picture always, right? It was never about like one singular story. I always thought about this as each of these packages, two minutes or so long, they were all like sort of mini chapters. And, and then there were like these several other chapters because I know how people's attention spans work, Right. You can only see grandma and grandpa getting their ass whooped so many times before you just get desensitized, right? Of course, you of course, out, yeah. Right? You can only have this conversation, you know, circular for a year before it's like, okay, I've, we've talked about this. What's next, right? And so I've always known from the beginning there was going to be several pivot points. And that's why today, you know, I'm going back to what I've always been trying to spotlight in the communities is poverty. Right. We have this 
model minority myth that we're all affluent and doing okay and successful. That's not mm-hmm. the case, right? And poverty, whether you are communities that are black, brown, yellow, whatever it is, poverty is the common denominator that makes you vulnerable to violence, to hunger, to all of these issues, right? And so when people ask me, like, what's next? Look, I'm not a legislator. I'm not an activist. Right. I have to operate in my own lane, right? I don't, I don't create laws, but I can. I, what I do is I, I see what's on the ground and I have to tell those stories, right? And in, in my humble opinion, we don't get to any solution so long as we are still struggling with poverty, lack of access, education, food, and for that matter, education. That's another thing I think you've seen publicly. I've been really doing, getting people in positions of power accountable, whether it's a mayor one-on-one or the governor one-on-one. I had them commit to supporting Asian American history being taught in public schools, right? This is an important issue, not just for people who are not AAPI, but I think about like us, you know how many kids I've interviewed that have surprised me that growing up in today's age, I thought, hey, it's not as bad as it was when I grew up in Philly, right? Right. But they're still like scarred and traumatized by the bias and the racism they see. What that tells me a lot of is like, they don't know their own place in our society. Right? That's true. They're not taught Vincent Chin or all of these other struggles and these historical moments that we had AAPI activists at Malcolm X's side when he was assassinated, right? Like, if we don't know our own story and our own place in this history, how do we feel like we belong? Exactly. Right. So this is important, right? Like, I don't think this is a, this is a, a controversial issue, quite frankly, right? This law passed in New Jersey unanimously with bipartisan support for a reason, right? This is a lot of folks in the hear this, they go, how is this not already a thing? Yeah, yeah. It just seems like such a common sense thing. It is common sense. If we had grown up and been given the opportunity to learn a little bit more about ourselves, who's to say how much that would have changed our road path going forward? I totally agree. People don't realize, like, they don't instantly think, oh, you're an American. They don't know that we love rock. You know, I'm a Yankee fan, you're a Mets fan. Right, that you were born in Flushing Hospital right here. Exactly. You know, I was born and raised here. So it's so important. You're right. It's not controversial at all. Can I ask a bit of a side question? And I don't mean to take this the wrong way, but do you ever feel like some newsrooms feel they need to have a quote-unquote token Asian, a journalist or anchor? Um, Let me sort of answer this more broadly. I think, forget about newsrooms, I think every organization has this concept of, right, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, let's flip the question reversed. Mm -hmm. How would we feel if they didn't feel like they needed to have a token, right? I mean, like, to have zero, right? Uh, So I guess that's progress? I don't know, right? That being said, look, obviously, and again, I'm trying to, answer this question more broadly, because I do think, being honest here, on the societal hierarchy, the API community isn't necessarily always a priority. And again, a lot of that is self-inflicted harm. We have not, as a community, uh, been vocal about the needs that we have. So that's part of it self-inflicted. You know, and look, this is the idealist in me. It's not just about having any token X, Y, and Z, right? Mm -hmm. Just because you're Asian or, or Black or Hispanic doesn't mean that, you know, every you know, CEO or every journalist is created the same, right. right? It doesn't mean that we have the same drive or the same things that we're passionate about. So I think every organization starts with, needs to look at representation does matter, but also the proper representation, right? Does it align with like your organization's, you know, brand and mission statement? You know, are you more than just token? Yeah. Mm. So I, I don't know that like, it's necessarily a good or bad thing. It's where we are. It would be blind to pretend like this is not a thing. It's a thing, but you can look at it both ways. Yeah, because I always view that as a more of a positive. Mm. Wherever we're trying to get to as a whole, it's not going to happen from Monday to Tuesday. Exactly. And sometimes in sure. the meantime, we have to take these opportunities and make them into better, bigger opportunities for ourselves as well. Yeah, I would add this, you know, on the more specific point about newsrooms, the newsroom's goals are always to have a, 
a roster that's reflective of the community in which we cover. Exactly. Right, because that's the whole point, right? You want to be connected to the community. You want them to feel connected to you. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. And I do think that most newsrooms in New York, uh, mine included, do a very good job and consciously try to represent every community in New York. And allowing me to do my thing is more than just being token, right? So if I can give some credit to, the, to my employer, you know, they could easily have just hired someone who looks like this and doesn't walk the walk, but yeah. that was important to them when they brought me on board. They said that, that it was important to them that like I was actually someone who's embedded in the community and that they felt that that was something that was missing in their coverage for a long, long time. Yeah. Being Korean, Asian American, um, is it hard taking your personal feelings out to your coverage and trying to be objective sometimes? So first of all, it is my job to be objective, right? It's not something I have to try to do. Right. I've been doing this long enough where I can I can approach every story objectively. It's it's not difficult. That being said, it doesn't mean that I'm not a human being. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I have personal feelings, right? And so I would argue this. Sure, every human being has a right to their own personal history and, and biases, right? The problem is when that biases bleed into your work. And I would argue that my work has never crossed that boundary. Okay. And sometimes I do face this criticism of that. And I would say this, not every journalist agrees with Trumpism or for that matter, BLM. But we were out there in the streets every day. Our job is to be a messenger. Yes. You know, I may not agree with everything that either side has to say, but that's not my job. My job is not to give my opinion. It's, it's, it's pretty freaking simple, actually, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's just be a messenger. This is what they feel. Yeah. This is what they said, right? It is not my job to be judge and jury, right? It's my job to present. Yeah. When it comes to this coverage specifically, some might argue, you know, there's a personal bias. And I would say, look, I am simply just communicating what the feeling is in the community. If they feel fear, whether it's the Orthodox Jewish community or the API community or the Black community, that is our job to communicate that they feel afraid. Of course. It's really not that complicated. And and honestly, it's unfortunate that there's a lot of journalism going on these days that that makes it seem complicated, but it's actually not. To do this job correctly, it's, it's one of the most simplest, easiest things. Black and white, balls and strikes, facts, that's it. Yeah. I like that. Piggybacking on what you said you know, before about sometimes seeing the same coverage over and over, and specifically what's been happening the past couple of years, as viewers, sometimes you become somewhat desensitized to it, and you're not doing that on a conscious level, I think. So I guess the same question for you, because I assume based on everything you said that you're seeing much more than we are on TV. So do you mm-hmm. yourself sometimes become desensitized to all the stuff that you're seeing? Uh, no, and that's a surprising answer because most journalists, um, as a defense mechanism, I don't blame them. It's a survival mechanism, right? We see a lot of trauma and heartbreak and tragedy. Yeah. yeah. A lot of journalists as a defense mechanism, survival mechanism will kind of close that off because otherwise you take it home and it's, it's tough, right? Yeah. I would say that for me, and again, this extends far beyond my community and this coverage in, in news in general, we interact with victims quite a bit. And it's not just victims on, on this particular topic, right? right? And so this is something that I've had to deal with, you know, for the better part of the last two decades. And I deliberately do not close that off because mm. I feel like in, in order to, to really tell someone's story, I have to feel that pain. Okay. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's an awfully personal thing to do. And it does take a toll. I'm not going to deny that. It must make it harder. Yeah. I would say that throughout last year and even to this day, like there were random moments suddenly that caught me off guard. For no apparent reason, every few months, I would just become consumed with, with pain and agony and anguish out of nowhere. It's just, that's, that's what trauma is like. You know, that's what 
that's sort of the, the weight of this, right? And um, you just, I have, to, I, I didn't, I never, I never denied it. I always allowed myself to feel. Mm-hmm. And every so often, I just have to release. It's only healthy that way. Yeah. And there's no doubt that each and every one of these victims that tell me about their trauma, like it obviously triggers something in my own past. I mean, this is my whole point, right? Like we're not, we're human and we've, we've been subjected to this. I can shut it off when I have to get out on TV and I have to, you know, work, but it'll be like those moments in between when I'm sitting at home and there's a moment of quiet and peace and suddenly the rush and it just overcomes, right? And so I'm not sure if you're comfortable talking about this, but there have been a couple of times on air when you yourself have been the victim of either a hate crime or a violent act. <laughs> which which time are you talking? Oh, yeah. about? <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing about it, but the it's like you days. lost count. Yeah, I mean, look, I go back to my other answer, right? None of this is new. And when I'm a journalist, it's actually quite easier to deal with because I'm in that sort of observer mode. Mm-hmm. And and frankly, like there have been times it's happened to me where like it actually fits the story editorially, kind of prove the point. Huh. So it's almost like. You've helped your case. Yeah, you've actually kind of like proven the point that, you know, like this exists and this is out there. It is what it is, man. I mean, like I, I there's a, there comes a point where we have to be like, okay, you got to pick your battles, right? Like mm-hmm. there's levels. I, I can't like both personally and professionally worry about every single microaggression. Like it's going to happen. It is what it is, right? Yeah. And in some ways, to your points, just sort of being visible and publicly out there, my face, I hope does in some small way resolve some of the, like, the issues that microaggressions and things like that, that we can't really address unless like we really change what people see, what mm-hmm. they consume in the media, the imagery of who we are. Right. right. So it is what it is, man. What, what, what am I say about that? Right. You got the tough skin. <laughs> to kind of pivot to, I guess, to a more positive side of news coverage, when you're reporting on good news, does that lift you up and balance out all those negative times? Yeah, sure. I think I mentioned before, we see as much, you know, joy and hope as we do the other stuff, you know, and mm-hmm. yeah. uh, specifically to coverage on the API community. I've always, again, for 20 years, tried to spotlight and highlight um, stories of success and and struggle that they've overcome, profiled, you know, whether it's like the highest ranking female NYPD officer, or I remember last fall, I profiled Danny Chen, who's the cousin of Private Danny Chen you know, who took his own life in Afghanistan yeah. because of racial taunting. And um, he was, he went through the FDNY Academy and became, he wants to be a firefighter. So FDNY has, you know, struggles with diversity mm-hmm. yes. and you don't see a lot of API faces in that department, right? And I thought it was important, not just to sort of highlight um, this legacy of uh, Danny Chan, but to show that like Asian American New Yorkers can be firefighters too. Of course. Yes. Those are all stories that are important to tell that that of hope and inspiration. So yeah, those those stories always matter to me for sure. It's that's what life is, right? Life is a little bit of everything. So ups and downs. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you have a, a the, like the worst or like the funniest assignment that you have ever worked on? I guess a more comical touch. Yeah, it's hard to come up with the best and worst when you've done this job for so long. I have met the past five presidents. I have you know covered two terror attacks, survived two, two terror attacks. Mm, yeah. So I get asked that question, both questions, the worst and best. And I have, I always struggle with that. I, I would say the most memorable, funny thing that's happened to me <laughs> is um, <laughs> if you all recall uh, back when Congress member Anthony Weiner was running for mayor. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we know, we know the, uh, we the, know the backstory. The, <laughs> right. Yeah. The crisis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We saw a lot of Anthony Weiner. <laughs> what happened, happened. There was obviously <laughs> protests outside of his office. 
Let's just call it that. What happened happened. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. That was very awkward. Yeah. Listeners can do some uh, light Googling to see what we're talking about. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you can look that up. You don't have to type a lot. <laughs> no, I don't have to write. Um, and so I'm outside his office in Forest Hills. And there's a bunch of protesters and I'm doing a live shot. Oh, and unbeknownst wow. to me, right next to my face over my shoulder, I didn't realize this because I'm looking at the camera. Somebody held up a sign that said Congress circumcised the wiener <laughs> and it was like right next to my face during this entire live shot yeah. but i only found out after the fact because friends were texting me like oh my god there is this sign next to your face oh man <laughs> and that that clip but the cameraman can zoom in a little bit and kind of like crop crop <laughs> it the was sign right up. next to my face <laughs> there, was, there was no headroom or croppable space for this that man that man made sure that this made the shot so Yo, we need to do some deep google yeah <laughs> Because I assume it has to be out there on the internet somewhere. It's it out there somewhere. Be. Yeah, shout out to a uh, forest salesman, Queens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go do this right now. Oh God. Um, one lighthearted question, just to wrap some of this up. Ben has a Korean name, Byung. Yep. We mm-hmm. both have been the victim of people mispronouncing our names throughout our entire lives. We don't take it personally. So just to give you an example, my name is Linji. I've had people throughout the course of my life doing business who they say lingerie. <laughs> And I know they're not, they mean zero harm. They mean absolute zero. I'm like, they're the nicest people. Right. Obviously, IA correct them and such. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like. Have you been the victim of a lingerie situation? Uh, that's a pretty high bar. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I would say this. Uh, my name is unusual. Right? Um, it, so let me start with that. Yeah. My parents were atypical. They didn't give me like a Korean name and then like a, you know, a, an American name or like something out of the Bible, right? Like yeah, Peter yeah, yeah. or John. What they did was they anglicized my Korean name. So my Korean name was Hae Hwan, which became Safan. So Korean, you know, yeah. right? So like fighting, fighting. So I'll, I'll, sometimes the Pa sound is like phonetically, you know, anglicized to the F sound, Got which you, is why man. the F is capitalized because it's Hae Hwan. So he capitalized oh, yeah. the F. I know. Why is there a C? Why is there two A's? I don't know, right? <laughs> yeah. weird. Yeah. Yeah. So like a lot of Korean folks butcher my name as well. It's not oh. a Korean name either. Right. It's so not. Koreans are like, what the heck is that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I get from all sides. I get from like, Koreans, not non-Asians. Like, what the heck is this, right? Are you Stefan? It's so Stefan. The most common, right? Really? So I, I don't have. I don't know if I know like the worst version of it, but the most common like mistake is Stefan or Sifan, right? Because that's the way it looks. Right. Where it's it's more like Stefan. It's more like Stefan without the T sound. Yeah. But here's a funny story. So like when I was interning for Tiwa Chang, this is like way back in like the year 2000. I was in college. Yeah. And so he had gone through the struggle with his name. Where early in his career, he went with T.H. Chad instead of T.Y. Because, you know, American viewers just could not relate to T.Y. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know? yeah, yeah. yeah just, and he would say to me, like, you, you got a really great TV name. I'm like, what are you talking about? It was, well, like, your last name is so ethnically, undeniably Korean and Asian. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> your first name sounds and looks black. And I'm like, huh? But think about, it, like, LeBron, L.E. capital B. Oh, Deshaun, I see where he's coming Deshaun with Jackson. that. L-E capital S, LeSean, L-E yeah. capital S, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fast forward six years later, I'm covering Queens for New York One. I could walk through Flushing. Nobody knows who I am, right? But in Jamaica, Yo. where there's a heavily heavy black population, I had four people tell me that they named their kid Safan. Shut up. Right? Wow. Right. For real? So, so Tiwa was onto something there that there was some relatable, like, Yo, think about crazy. my name. And so there you go. Like, that's... Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. That's a cool story. I like Shout that. Shout out to the uh, Safan Johnsons out there somewhere. Yeah, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in Queens, right? 
ranting and raving. This is a segment that we do on every single podcast where us, the hosts, and the guests just take a minute or so just to quickly rave about something positive in our lives or rant about something crappy in our lives. Very quick, lighthearted way just to end everything. Uh, Mm -hmm. Ben, you want to take this? It's still like a little thing that keeps going on. We need to stop it. We have all the technology. I hate people that can't park properly, especially when they take up two spots. Yeah. I just can't stand it to like my bone and I see it. You mean like in a parking lot or like a a parking lot? Uh Like I get it if it's like empty. Go for it. Have, you don't take three. You know? <laughs> but when it's like, yo, we need to park, we need to do our thing, for the love of God, who is this person? Yeah. So that's me. I sound like an old dude right now, but yeah, learn to park, guys. No bueno. No bueno. My rant for this week is uh, it's summer right now, 90 degrees outside. Whenever it's summer, yeah. I go into flip-flop season. But this year, I'm starting to take care of my knees now. And I feel like I'm getting old, so I can no longer do flip-flops or sandals or anything like that. I'm still doing... Yeah, I can't do that because it's just bad on my knees right now. Yo, get out of here. I mean, we're only in our late 30s, but still, I'm trying to take preventative measures for my knees. So, <laughs> Yo. So I'm I doing like... Yeah, that's why you don't see me in flip flops now. Yeah, it's I fine. Don't. I can't do that. I you're so. just like hiding your ugly ass feet or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was, man. No, shout out to uh, all the people who are still lucky enough to be able to comfortably wear flip flops. <laughs> oh my god. What about you, Stefan? You got anything yeah. to rant or rave about this week? In my line of work, we're we're always like in a news vehicle, like a live truck. Yeah. And so, like, we have to drive everywhere, you know. And so, like, the traffic situation is really just like mind boggling these days. Oh yeah. my god. My rant is this. Isn't it interesting how what we call them professional drivers, the Uber and Lyft and the cabs who drive for a living are the worst drivers? Yo. <laughs> no offense. Like, I don't mean to like, no. you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to bring a solution, okay? Like, I'm not, <laughs> okay, I'm let's not, hear I'm not just trying to like fire shots <laughs> off at like our hardworking cabbies because you know, they exactly. work hard. But for the love of God, <laughs> if, if you have an empty space to pull into, even if it's a hydrant to drop off a passenger, yes. can we please pull into the empty space and not just double park it? Oh my Is it God. that hard to do? Oh, man. I say this to my wife all the time when we're driving by, and I know it's an Uber Eats person making a delivery or it's yeah, a yeah, driver yeah. dropping off someone. I'm yeah, like, yeah. dude, I'm not saying this to them, yeah. obviously. I'm saying this yeah, to my yeah. wife in the car. I'm like, dude, there is literally <laughs> a giant fire hydrant. You're going to be in the car right for two seconds. There. Just yeah. pull up. What are you worried yeah. about? Put on the hazard. If you're double parked somewhere yeah. in the middle, you technically you get a ticket. If you park in the fire hydrant, you technically get a ticket. But at least if you're in the hydrant, it's, you let everyone else pass. Yeah. Right. And traffic has gotten infinitely worse because of COVID because now you have outdoor dining taking up parking spaces and people are not taking the train they used to so like yeah. do we need to add more to this problem like really <laughs> and also with the rise of like those like e-scooters and electric yeah. cars taking now. away parking spots and too sometimes they go in the opposite direction and i'm like yo this is where people are gonna like get really right. hurt from this yeah. right that that bugs me too actually <laughs> I've, I've seen like near collisions with you know moms with strollers and dads with strollers because they're not looking the other direction yeah exactly you know yeah. like this is yeah, the, the, this traffic situation in New York has gotten out of control. I, I'm not just saying that like to be just this New Yorker like griping. It, it's infinitely worse. If you were that one jackass double parking, imagine that times a hundred. You just cause all this traffic. Yeah, don't be that jackass. Yeah. Son. Plus, people have to swerve around you. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's driving etiquette. That's yes. what Safan's raving about. I mean, ranting about today. <laughs> please, please. Yeah. don't be that guy. It was a pleasure having you on today. It really was. Yes. Um, it's it's a bit of a dream, honestly, for us for to real. be able to talk to you because we honor. see you on TV so goddamn much. Oh, God, no. Yeah. <laughs> so when you agreed to come on and when your PR department approved for you to come on yeah. as well? Yeah. I still couldn't believe it. I was like, no way. Until we saw you on the computer screen, I was like, I'm not yeah. going to believe it. 
yeah. until I could hear his voice. Yeah, I will say that the, the team listened to your content and they really enjoyed it. And they, they didn't just like Google you; they actually listened to the episodes. And um, oh, that's wow. actually pretty hilarious. They, they liked your yeah, they liked your content. So it was um it was a thoughtful process. So you should know that uh, yeah, it wasn't just some blind green light. <laughs> Sometimes we get people come on, and I'm like, did their agent really vent us or anything? If it makes you feel better, I think your episode is gonna follow Miss America. So take that for however that <laughs> if that's good or bad, I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. One beautiful woman to one uh, thirst trap <laughs> reporter. I don't know. It's all good. If the internet does not know who you are and they want to stay up to date with everything that you're about, where can they follow you? Everywhere. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I have a occupational hazard i have to be in all i mean look i uh i'm on look i know no one's on facebook anymore but we have news viewership tends to skew a little older so i'm on facebook yeah uh i'm on instagram and twitter i will assure you that i'm too old for i don't even know what tiktok and snapchat is i know it exists i'm not on those platforms yeah, yeah, so yeah. um twitter obviously journalists are you know that's a great platform for journalists uh instagram facebook and otherwise channel seven you know and uh, just shameless plug, like, you know, the, we stream, the app streams uh, live, free. We're also on Hulu. A lot of our content's on Hulu. Yeah. So you'll find us everywhere, you know, if, even if you don't have a, a proper television, which a lot of young kids these days don't even know what that is. They do not. You can find me. Just just Google me, you know, I'm out there. I guess one day if you see Safan on TikTok, he's probably been yeah. fired for being a Phillies fan. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think yeah, so. He's done. Yeah, that, that would be my, my midlife crisis. <laughs> my midlife crisis. Right. Something went wrong. Something went very sideways on TikTok and Snapchat. <laughs> if you want to stay up to date with everything Ben and I are up to yep. on, on the daily basis, check us out on all the social medias, even TikTok, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, unfortunately. We are at the handle Worst Asian Pod on every single one. You can there find you us go. at worstasianpod.com. If not, we will catch you guys next week. Same time, same place, every single week. Bye. Love you guys. Peace. a small business, efficiency has never been more important. So for a limited time, Comcast Business is introducing small business savings. Call now to get powerful internet for just $39 a month for 12 months, with no annual contract and a money-back guarantee. All on the largest, fastest, reliable network for small businesses. Comcast Business. Powering possibilities. Ends 921-22. Requires EcoBill and AutoPay. Restrictions apply. New business 50 megabits per second customers only. Equipment taxes and other charges extra and subject to change. After promo, regular rates apply. When you shop at a Walmart Vision Center, you get it. You know that you'll spend a little less on stylish glasses for the whole family. Welcome to the Vision Center. Let me know if you need help finding the perfect frame. Hey, Mom, you were right. These glasses are cool. Hon, they take our insurance. That means Papa's getting a new pair, too. Whoa, glasses start at just $39. Next stop, groceries. So you can get a little more of what you need. Find a Vision Center near you. Save money, live better. Walmart.